This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Claire Bonnyman, and welcome to The Loop. This week on the podcast, I'd like to welcome back Min Dariwal. You know him from such hits as the India Farmers Crisis, Craft Breweries in a Pandemic, other stories. You've joined us a few times. Hey, Min, how is it going? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You're going to be hanging out with us uh, for a few weeks here, which is kind of fun. How did you manage to rope me into doing this? Um, I think I asked nicely, and yeah. then someone else told you to do it. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure to be here. <laughs> I, I think we, we're going to have a blast doing this. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to all of this. Yeah, I mean, introduce yourself to the back of the class. You know, I mean, what's on the back of your baseball card? I want to know. Yeah, fun facts. Card, what's that's... your role here? For sure. Who so, um, back of the baseball card. Well, the batting average is probably uh, you know a little little better <laughs> than average, but uh, no, I have been here. I think coming up this month is going to be my twentieth year. Wow! At CBC, man, there's been so much uh, that has happened yeah. uh, during that time. But um, I, I'm basically a video journalist, yeah. and I work in the newsroom and do all sorts of stories. For the longest time, I was doing a lot of sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, definitely have done a lot of uh, big stories in Edmonton over the years, whether it be in the courts or uh, breaking news, you know, going live when we used to have live trucks. Uh, Back in which, the day. <laughs> yeah, which are now in a little suitcase yeah, exactly. called a DeGero. Things have changed over 20 years. Yeah, technology has arrived. So but back Min then, sticks around. Yeah, exactly, right? It's hard to, to, to hard to get rid of me. I'm waiting for Mark Connolly to leave first. So. <laughs> then you're going to take over the morning show? Well, well, who knows? But um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm an Edmonton guy. I, I yeah. moved here when I was a kid with my family uh, in the early 80s. And so, um, you know, you each year you lay down more roots and then all of a sudden, you know, you have kids and then they have friends and it just gets more complicated. So <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> yeah. So here we go. 2021, still here. Yeah. And I mean, we, we both have some connections to a lot of the headlines um, from this week, I think, Absolutely. especially, right? Like, there's, It's been a week. Yeah. I, it feels like there's never not a week oh. these days. Everyone in the city right now, we're thinking about uh, vaccines because Health Canada announced that Pfizer vaccine is safe for anyone over 12. And the new announcement as of Wednesday, all Albertans age 12 and up were told when they can book their shots. So some folks yeah. got a chance Thursday, some like me. Have to wait for Monday, unfortunately. Right. But Min, you've already got your vaccine. Yes, I uh, I managed to uh, get into um, a shoppers and get a vaccine, and it it, it kind of uh, when this all sort of kind of started, the talk started happening mm-hmm. about you know pharmacies having them. Um, I actually went to a couple, yeah, and um, put my name on a list, and uh, I I didn't expect to get called, but they said they had extra, and you know. I wasn't going to say no, so here no, we go. No, and the sense of relief, I'm sure that came. I can't wait yeah. for it. I had a friend describe it to me once as um, she started her clock, right? Like, it's yeah. not as if getting the vaccine immediately protects you from everything. Yeah. But, you know, you've got two weeks until you're a little bit safer, and then you've got four months until you know things might be a little bit different. Like, for sure. It's got to feel good, right? Yeah, it, it has felt good. And, you know, I don't know how I've blocked it out of my brain mentally over the last year because really we're we're out there we're talking to different people every day and then I'm going home and you know I have a grandmother and a mom and they live by themselves and so it's in the back of your mind always you know you don't want to be that reason why someone gets sick yeah and or you get sick so um once that shot uh, happened I was kind of like wow it was it was kind of like a big 
weight was lifted off your shoulders, right? And and that sense of relief, I think, is going to be a huge thing for so many people across the province in the yeah. coming weeks. And and vaccination joy aside, you know, that good news that came from this week. Mm-hmm. We've also uh, got some more restrictions for the next few weeks, right? Things like personal care services are closed, new limits on gatherings and capacities. I mean, you have a piece of paper that you brought in today <laughs> oh my God. Um, from the, was, is the, the Wednesday morning conference, right? Talking, yes. digging deeper into restrictions and everything. Yeah. Um, how, <laughs> what is this? How big of a sheet would you say that is? That's, I, a, that's bigger than 11 by 11. It's uh, is that like the legal size paper? Yeah, or something? It's, it's a big legal boy. even. Um, <laughs> but it's huge. And you've got so many notes on there. Uh, this is the most restrictions and the toughest we've seen in a while. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I certainly haven't heard the messaging that came out of uh, the premier and his justice minister and the health minister and the education minister. I mean, they were all kind of like, OK, this is getting serious. And, um, you know, specifically the ICU beds and just, you know, capacity for yeah. our healthcare system. Um, you know, there's been stories about people who can't go in, uh, who, who are suffering from cancer and they can't go in for surgery. Other people who needed to go see uh, someone in the ER couldn't do it. So it sounded pretty serious to me yesterday. Fines doubled. Um, It sounds like, you know, all of the agencies are going to work together. And if, you know, people are breaking the rules and having a rodeo, then you might there might be consequences. Well, and that's the thing, right? Even as we're seeing more restrictions and more intensity, there is still this demographic of Albertans who are not agreeing with mm-hmm. public health rules. AHS and the RCMP are currently at the whistle stop and they are locking my doors. This is disgusting. How can any single one of you sleep at night with what you're doing right now? You're protecting a government that's not upholding our rights. This is my property and I have the right to enjoy it. And you're upholding these guys' restrictions that are f***ing all of us up. So some pretty strong feelings there. That's Alberta Health Services and the RCMP physically closing the Whistle Stop Cafe in Mirror, Alberta. The owner, who we heard there, took to Facebook Live on Wednesday morning. Hmm. And according to HS, the owners have consistently defied the dine-in restrictions and haven't complied with COVID food handling protocols for takeout. And, I mean, that's just one instance, man, right? Like the anti-lockdown movement is a thing here. It it certainly is. And, I mean, there are so many others who who are following the rules and trying to do their part. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, uh, for sure, Whistle Stop Cafe itself, you know, uh, defied restrictions again after being closed, even with the doors shuttered. Dozens of people uh, showed up to support the uh, owner that afternoon. And they're not the only ones, as you mentioned. We we saw the rodeo footage from yeah. Bowden last week. I don't know how your Twitter feed was. I've Crazy. been trying to, like, not look at Twitter on the weekends. But all all I kept seeing was rodeo this, rodeo that. And. Well, I always know it's a big story when I have my family in Ontario messages me and ask about it. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I'm the same way. If, you know, I've got cousins and friends in BC, um, you know, family in England and, you know, even some of them are like, what's going on in Alberta? So, yeah, there's certainly uh, apparently another gathering scheduled for the weekend at the Whistle Stop, but the province is promising to crack down much harder, as we heard yesterday, than they have before. And here's some of Premier Kenny's comments. Governments must not uh, impair people's rights or their livelihoods unless it is absolutely necessary to save lives and, in this case, to prevent disaster from unfolding in our hospitals. Unfortunately, that is the situation that we are facing today. We will not tolerate those who endanger the health of their fellow Albertans while the vast majority of people are doing the right thing. There's one simple message. If you can stay home, please stay home, at least over the next three weeks. 
there's so much coming at us, though. It's really hard to know who to listen to. Right. Um, we're hearing different messages from different levels of government, different institutions, different online websites. It's been called a toxic stew of misinformation by some doctors. Uh, I really like that phrase. That is. Yeah, I think it captures something. But it's fueling Sums this anger. Up. Yeah. And of course, Alberta is home to someone who's dedicated his career to tackling disinformation, especially when it comes to public health. Tim Caulfield is Canada Research Chair in Health Law and Policy at the University of Alberta. So I called him up to get his thoughts on what's going on. Hello, Tim Caulfield. Hi, Tim. It's Claire calling from CBC. How's it going? It's going well. It has been It has been a bit of a crazy week. <laughs> I believe it. I've heard you, I think, everywhere so far. Of all the things you're thinking right now, what's going on in your head while you're watching what's happening in Alberta? You know, it, it's frustrating. Um, and it is also, I think, a really good example of how challenging, how challenging it is to both fight fight the pandemic, but also, I don't, know, I don't want to use the word fight, uh, address, deal with, wrestle with the <laughs> politics, the misinformation, the ideology, all of these things now seem to be getting kind of mixed up. And um, I think it really is highlighting the complex uh, factors that are, are at play when you're trying to, to fight a pandemic from, you know, the, the politics of the situation in Alberta, <laughs> which, you know, which I think, are, I wonder if you agree with this, are much more complex than are often perceived in, uh, you know, other provinces. I think everyone thinks that this is, you know, it's a conservative uh, province and that's it. That's not the case at all. I mean, it, there's a real, there's a lot of diversity out there in, in political opinions. And I, and I think that has really added to the stew also. On the note of politics, I mean, Tuesday was a big night. We heard Premier Kenny's message to very clearly stay home. Do you think that's enough to get us out of the situation we're in? Um, you know, I hope so, obviously. I yeah. always <laughs> want to be hopeful, but uh, probably not. You know, probably not. Um, uh, we need to get more and more people vaccinated. We need more compliance with the rules. And of course, that's, you know, that's been the real challenge in, well, actually, they're both, I think, are been a real challenge, both the vaccination issue and, and the compliance issue. Um, and I'm worried about the latter, right? You know, that, you know, how, how is the, how's the government really going to get, you know, that compliance? We saw the, you know, the rodeo debacle. Uh, we've seen individuals who, you know, businesses, and I totally understand how frustrating and how scary this time is for them, you know, uh, defying the rules. So how, how are they going to get that compliance? And of course, that goes back to that, that political dimension also. But, but vac- vaccination is going to be, I think, a big issue in, in Alberta, too. You know, if you believe the studies, it's consistently shown that Alberta has the highest rates of vaccination hesitancy. And I'm talking pretty high here, 28 percent. We're, we're going to start bumping up against hesitancy here, and that's going to make it really difficult to get to that herd immunity. What are the effects that the Bowdoin Rodeo, uh, things like that, on the trust in leadership, how do those impact each other? They do play on each other. You know, first of all, um, you know, those kinds of events, and, and I think it's really important to recognize that you know, the, those voices are in the minority. You know, if you believe the, the data, most Albertans, even here in Alberta, uh, support, uh, support the restrictions, see the need for the restrictions, um, you know, support vaccination. The problem is, in Alberta, the portion of the population that is more skeptical, that is, uh, you know, against the restrictions, is significantly larger than other parts of the country. So the concern is that these kinds of events 
both sort of embolden, you know, though individuals that might be on the margin, right? They don't know which way they're going. And I also think it it makes it difficult for the government to to respond because, you know, how are they going to respond? If they respond with a heavy hand, are they just going to polarize the discourse even further, right? Are they going to anger people? And so it is, I, I think it is a very tough situation for the, for the government. Now, of course, ideally, I think they should have dealt with this more consistently in the past. Uh, uh, and, and evidence tells us that if you, you know, adopt a policy of eradication versus mitigation, which was for sure the goal of this government, right? And he's basically explicitly said that again and again. But the uh, research tells us the eradication model in general uh, works better. Hindsight, of course, is twenty twenty. How do we create compliance now in those in that vocal minority that don't believe what's going on? Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be hard. You heard that, right? Yeah. Oh, that that says a lot. I think. Um, yeah, that's my that's my answer. I, <laughs> I, 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 we we know from we know from research that it is very very difficult. In fact, there was a really interesting study that just came out. I'm going to say last last week uh, that found that those that sort of embrace misinformation and embrace the conspiracy theories um, are very are much less likely to to adopt new evidence, to consider new evidence, uh, and, and revise their opinion. You know, no surprise that we have other researchers that have said that before, but the, the punchline, of course, is that it's very hard to change these individuals' minds. You know, once, once a position has become part of your ideological brand, you know, your sort of personal identity, it becomes very difficult to change. Um, what we really need to do is make sure that their position, their rhetoric doesn't have an adverse impact on that movable middle, right? You know, all those Albertans that are kind of on the fence or are, are just trying to find good information for themselves, for their family, for their community. So I think that has to be a, a priority. And and here's the, uh, you know, the tough one. I don't really have an answer for this. You know, what do you do with respect to enforcement? You know, uh, it'll be very interesting to see how this plays out for this government, don't you think? I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm curious what, how, how they're going to deal with it. You know, he, he's, he's, you know, Kenny was very, used very strong language. Is that going to translate into strong action? What are the long-term effects of what we're seeing right now in Alberta? You know, I mean, is this something that's going to last beyond the pandemic? I think so. I think so. And if I, and if I could say, you know, something else, you know, you reminded me, I think the other <laughs> messaging that should come is a little bit of hope. Yeah. You know, there, there is, you know, even in, you know, that, that Kenny's last speech, there was, he looked angry, didn't he? Um, <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's had a tough person. year, I think it's fair he's to say. He's had a tough year. He's yeah. had a tough year. <laughs> yes. But I, I think we do need to have a little bit more of that hope message, you know, that, you know, these are the things you can do outside and, <laughs> and we are going to get through this. That's the really important message. But when we get through it, I, I, I think we, there's, we're, the polarization is going to continue. I think that there, we are. This is going to live beyond uh, the pandemic. I think we are going to see more polarized discourse. And I'm speculating here. I have no evidence to back this up. This is me speculating. And I think I think it's going to have an impact on on elections. I, you know, I really do. And, and I, it, what will be fascinating, and, and there's you know political scientists who would know this far better than I do, is the impact it's going to have on on conservatives in Alberta because you kind of feel it splitting there too a little bit. Holding on to that hope of this all ending one day uh, and us being able to return to some semblance of normalcy. What is the first thing that you want to do when this is all over? What are you hopeful for? Um, so this, you're talking the frivolous stuff here. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, so you know what I really miss? I'm, I, I'm a writer, as you know. I miss Edmonton's 
awesome. I'm going to say Alberta's awesome coffee shops. <laughs> I really do. Those <laughs> independent coffee shops. Holy cow. Sitting down with an overpriced coffee and a pastry with a writing project. Oh, my God. Just saying it makes me a little bit misty. It can be hard to shake ourselves out of the present with COVID still top of mind, of course, as the crisis in the province. But this week marks five years since the beast. That's the wildfire that burned through Fort McMurray and displaced nearly 100,000 people. No matter where you were when it happened, but especially if you were here in Edmonton, it did really touch you. You know, the stories, the footage, the panic. Here at CBC Edmonton, folks sprung into action when the wildfire ripped through the city, providing information, directions, connection, and some level of comfort to those stuck on the road. This is how a former colleague of ours remembers that night from the control room. A wildfire continues to burn out of control only a few kilometers away from Fort McMurray. When I started directing our live radio show, it was 7 p.m., I stayed for the last minute, and then I hear stuff exploding. When they start going up, I know I don't have a hope with a garden house. I'm afraid that huge parts of my hometown of over 50 years may burn tonight, and uh, more of it will burn tomorrow. We had been on the air for four hours straight at that point, and we didn't know when we would stop. All we knew was that a wall of flame was moving into Fort McMurray, and tens of thousands of cars and trucks were lined up on the highway, inching their way south and north, away from their city. We had four phone lines in the control room. Our host gave the number out and all the lines were ringing in less than a second. There were three of us answering those calls, so one line was always ringing and ringing. I've been watching the flames off my balcony for the last two days and the odd thing this morning, Portia, is that it was clear and calm. There wasn't any smoke in the air and within two hours this afternoon the wind shifted and that was it. You could just see it coming. We are heading north. We're getting out. Hours into the night, we were still live on the radio. People told us how they grabbed their children and ran to their trucks through the smoke only to turn the corner out of their neighborhood and sit in a long line of vehicles. As they moved at a snail's pace, trying to escape the flames, the people in those cars and trucks called us. They sat on the highway, watching their fuel gauges tick lower and lower, and they listened to us. There was fire on our left-hand side and our right-hand side, so at one point I could actually feel the heat coming through the door into the vehicle. Andy and Leo... God misses you. I love you guys. It'll be okay. Don't worry. We'll make it out of here, okay? They called us from the gas station in Lac La Biche and other small towns saying, Come here. There's still gas here. Some called to say, This station is empty. Let the other drivers know so they don't waste gas or precious time trying to get here. They called asking questions. They hoped that we or other people listening could answer. Which evacuation centers and camps had space? Which direction to gamble on with my last quarter tank of gas? Many left their trucks by the side of the highway, tanks empty. In that studio, we called the camps, the fire information service, any contacts we could think of trying to get answers for more than 90,000 people. To the north, we have approximately 17,000 
citizens who have moved north. We are working with industry in the camp and lodges north to find them accommodation. Uh, to the south, uh, we moved uh, 8,000 people to Anzac. 9,000 are working their way towards Lac La Biche. And I have 18,000 that have been confirmed working their way south to Edmonton. Our priority for the next 12 hours is going to be preservation of life. Local radio towers had burned, and even though we were 400 kilometers away, we were it. A lifeline of sound and information in a dark and smoky burning night. We heard from a young woman in grade 12, sitting with her family in a dark car on the highway, just waiting for the other vehicles to move so they could hopefully move. We heard from a truck driver, upset that other trucks were jumping the median and shooting down the highway in the wrong direction. People are in panic and they don't know what to do. There's people breaking traffic rules because they, don't, they just don't know how, how to get out. Around midnight, it was dark and quiet as the vehicles slowly, very slowly, kept moving down the highway. We now knew most people were out of the city, far enough away to be safe. In the studio, we breathed a little easier. People were driving to camps or open spaces or even all the way to Edmonton to sleep on cots in the arena. In the studio, we kept them company by staying on the air. We updated information as we got it. We played songs to keep their eyes open and their spirits up. The calls kept coming, but they became grace notes. In the darkness of that night, two babies were born at an evacuation center, healthy and safe. A man called to say it was raining where he was. Rain? We couldn't verify it. But oh, the hope. Hearing those voices, sitting in the dark, looking for any kind of help, us trying to provide that help, I've never felt more useful and more inadequate. <laughs> By 1 a.m., we had signed off to the network. A wall of heat met us as we left the building and walked to our cars, all safely parked and full of gas. It was just an early May heat wave in Edmonton. There was no smoke in the air, yet. Driving home through the quiet streets, I prayed for safety, for gas, for places to sleep, and for rain. That was Stephanie Mitchell, a former associate producer here at CBC. And Min, you were part of the team that worked that night. What do you remember? Yeah, we... Well, I just remember chaos in the newsroom, right? Mm -hmm. And and you, you're just kind of you see people, you know, lining up to get the hell out of there. Yeah. And your colleagues are in there trying to do their, you know, jobs and stuff. And yeah, it was. Um, there was a lot of it was pandemonium up here. Yeah. You know, let alone up, uh, up in Fort Mac. So um, for me, when someone says the, the, the you know the Fort Mac fires, I think of. The, the picture from the gas station of these fl flames licking, you know, right on the edge of the road trying to come over. People riding their motorcycle over lawns to get the heck out of their neighborhoods. Yeah. You know, all of that stuff. Long lineups of cars. And, um, yeah, of course, that on that day I ended up getting thrown into a radio booth and, uh, you know, doing a call-in <laughs> 
music uh, yeah. show, right? I mean, we, we just wanted to put people's minds at ease. And I mean, that was, uh, it was amazing to hear people kind of just say, this is great, needed this, or, you know, I really want to play this song, or I'd love to yeah. hear this song. So Helping it, it, however you could. Any way you could. Things are changing really quickly in the province, but I do think it's safe to say we're going to have another COVID summer, right? Yeah, it looks like it. Yeah. And just like last year, you know, people are being encouraged to get outside. They're eager to do it, find new ways to do it. We've seen some new trends. Roller skating went really big. Men, did you? Uh... I used to roller skate back in the day. <laughs> really? Yeah. Sports world. Some some listeners, maybe some listeners uh, will remember that. I mean, that was Indoor skating head, rink. But... Yeah, of course. Four <laughs> wheels doing the duck or whatever it was called. The du- I mean, okay. I this I want to dive into this, but you yeah. did also uh, find out about a more classic approach to getting outside on two wheels, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, this just kind of uh, I got I got this by accident. Somebody yeah. in the newsroom, Jackie Sunquist, um, she's into bikes, loves bikes, rides bikes, and she heard about uh, the Kenilworth Bike Company. Just saw it on Facebook, and the way we went. Yeah, and, and so the idea is vintage, right? Because yes. that's a comeback everywhere. So what's the deal with vintage bikes? They save bikes, essentially, from the landfill, and uh, it's kind of like bike picking, you know? I, I didn't even know it was a thing, but, uh, yeah, they've been doing this for a number of years. They started off in 2017, and, uh, you know, they've been on this vintage bike trail, no pun intended, for, for quite some time. Uh, and now it's, of course, like everything, uh, you know, that comes back from the 80s or 90s or yeah. even earlier, it becomes mainstream. But try getting your hands on, on some of these bikes, right? Yeah. Now, now everybody's looking in their parents' garage like, hey, what's that <laughs> under that, you know, that what's growing in the grass there but these guys found bikes in some crazy places right like driving up and down acreages and going hey we're from the Kenilworth Bike Company we save bikes do you have any in your you know Quonset hut or your barn or your shed and sure enough some people in the country have like 50 bikes sitting there that everybody has bought right over yeah. the years and you know, nobody throws anything away in the country so yeah, these guys have, find, have found some, like, gold mines, right? And this unlocked something for you, right? Like, this tapped into <laughs> a love of vintage bikes that you have. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, <laughs> growing up uh, in England, like, bikes, they, they've made some fabulous bikes, right, uh, from that in that country. Raleigh, um, uh, I used to have this chopper when I was a kid, this bronze-colored <laughs> chopper. And I have this picture of me and my, you know, uh, like, over there, you had to wear uniforms, so yeah. a little... You know, Angus Young ball cap and the <laughs> short shorts. Seriously short shorts. Short you shared shorts. it on Twitter. Yeah. I yeah. think they were just riding up that day when my dad took that <laughs> okay, picture sure, sure, or whatever. But yeah. little blazer. And so I had this foamy seat and it had the brakes, the, the fenders. And I was kind of like, it, it, it totally took me back. Yeah. Absolutely. And I tweeted that picture out on the weekend and people lost their marbles. And they were like, oh, my God, where's this picture? And then, <laughs> then people started sharing their uh, little pictures of them on their bike yeah. and where they were at that time and stuff like that. And I know in, in, when I was in my teens, you know, a couple of buddies of mine like Pedro Montoya, Jason Scott, Andrew Shaw, myself, we uh, saved up our money and we spent like ridiculous amount of cash on on uh, race bikes. And yeah. I think it was because of the Tour de France was was big oh, every course. summer, right? Yeah. And so we're here we are wearing spandex and we got we've got oh, the gosh. we've got the the clip-in shoes and we've got the little painter's ball caps, you know, flipped up the lid riding out to the airport which I hated because it was like so far. <laughs> But uh, yeah. But I love it though, because I think that's the thing about a lot of these vintage items. Like we're suckers yeah. for stories as, right. as journalists, right? And and all of these older items have stories. But you also uncovered a really cool story about one of the mechanics who works on these bikes. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the, they run the garage kind of out of uh, one of the owner's homes in Kenilworth. And uh, that thing is like a bike picker's dream. But the guy's name is Sam. 
He's from Sri Lanka originally, uh, is a pastry chef, was out of work this past year when he was growing up in Sri Lanka, right? British colony, Raleigh bikes everywhere. And so his uncle used to have one. He told me this story about his uncle having one and how they would want to ride it secretly because he was really protective, overprotective about it. Um, But yeah, he obviously has a passion for bikes. So yeah, yeah, he's been working there for the last year because they build bikes up from the ground. They repair people's bikes who, who, who bring them in. These old bikes, they don't build them like that anymore. Well, and bikes are having a moment, right? Like, I mean, I Absolutely. see them whizzing around my apartment all the time. Have yeah. you noticed, though, um, you know, these bike kind of adjacent or like niche bike businesses coming out more? Yeah, like I was, uh, so I have poached my brother's um, specialized hard rock uh, mountain bike from the 90s. Nice. Uh, so I'm going to try and ride that thing this summer. So I, it needs to tune up. It needs some new tires and, and brakes to be done. So uh, I was going to take it to the Edmonton Ski Club, which has partnered up with the Kenilworth Bike Company to right. fix bikes because they can't handle the, the volume. Yeah. And so I was going by Sea Change, which is a craft brewery in town. Yeah. And I just happened to go by it, and they had a tent out there, and a guy was fixing bikes, him and his uh, colleague, I'm guessing. And so the way it works is you come in, you book uh, a, 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 you know, your bike to get fixed, and you sit on the patio. You have a, you have a pint, and then you get your bike fixed. And I also I brought a prop in. So when I was there, I picked up – I just and I stopped, and I picked up beer to find out what was going on. Yeah. And then uh, – Check that bad boy. Oh, out. a nice! It's a gorgeous kind of black sea change trucker change cap. Trucker cap, right? There you go. Yeah, it, yeah. But I mean, th- that's what's happening. It's kind yeah. of like this community is kind of building in Edmonton, which is great to see. Well, I love to see the small businesses connecting, right? And yeah. also, like, I like, I love bikes, and right. I love beer, and yeah. that's it. It's, it feels great when it's two things you love coming together for sure. So, <laughs> so I, I think it's a connection, absolutely. And I think once you see a vintage bike now, you will notice them everywhere. But it's great to see a lot of young kids are, you know, they they're going to their parents or the grandparents' garages and finding some gems. The Loop is a weekly podcast from CBC Edmonton. And our team this week is Min Dariwal, Leslie Goldstone, Corey Haberstock, James Evans, and Christina Silva. Our theme music is Change Your Mind by Edmonton musician John Common. And I'm Claire Bonneman. Thank you so much for listening. Because there's always so much more to know, you can get into The Loop with us every Friday right here. Or check out the stories on our website, cbc.ca slash Edmonton. If you have any feedback, you can leave us a rating or a review wherever you're listening. We also have an email, theloop at cbc.ca. And you can use the hashtag theloopcbc on social media to get in touch. And subscribe and download the show on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) Did I just wreck that? (laughs) It's okay, I can do it again. What were you doing? I was just snapping. (laughs) You were Snapchatting. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.